I am Efren Guzman. I am Efren Guzman. I am Efren. I am Efren. I am Efren Guzman. Along with my longtime close personal friend, my heterosexual life mate, my Mac to my cheese, my Johnson to my Johnson, my swing to my bada 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 swing. Eves the cannon. Senate. 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 Don't try to imitate, it's impossible Cause you will never overcome that obstacle Ladies and gentlemen, comedian Kyle Locasio Kyle, how you doing? Good, good, good. Um, enjoying the weather. It was pretty nice today. It wasn't that bad. So um, as long as I avoid heat, I'm very good. How about yourself? <laughs> well, today it was like raining a little bit. It was that like, you know, people want to commit suicide in this kind of weather. Like people outside and it's really dark and the clouds are coming in. But it's nice. It's nice to get a little break from the hotness and have a little rain. So I'm happy with it. That's good, that's good. And um, you're originally from Cleveland, Ohio, right? How was your upbringing like? Yeah, well, I grew up with LeBron. Um, he was <laughs> half brother. That's why I live in a rent-stabilized apartment and a walk-up, and I'm dying. No, um, I grew up in Cleveland. It's, you know, whatever. I got out of there as fast as I could to move to New York City. And um, I've been here for 22 years, so wow. I guess now yeah a minute oh how old are you if i can ask um i am 22 no i'm actually i'll tell you a joke i i just did recently um when people ask me how old i am i tell them that i am approaching the age where i'm transitioning back to full butt underwear (laughs) that's that's how old i am i'm actually gonna 40 in two weeks, and I'm sort of having a panic attack about it a little bit every day, mm-hmm. but uh, I've, I've spoken to many people who've, <laughs> who've made it to the other side of 40, and they tell me that it's awesome, and that something happens, and you don't give a shit anymore, and like, something happens in the female brain where you just stop giving your power away, and it's supposed to be like a great decade, just, you know, little saggy titties and stuff, but you know, that's worth it for your... <laughs> Enhanced self-esteem. Yeah, well, forty is the new twenty. That's what's that's the rumor that I heard. I'm thirty-nine, so um, next year I'll be forty. So hopefully, I'll feel like I feel like I'm twenty now. So I'll let you know. I'll let you know what happens. I'll let you know what happens on my birthday. If I'm dead, then you know, then it's not fun. Then you know that it's it's something to look forward to. So, um, how was Cleveland? Like you said, you did like Cleveland. You went to New York, but Cleveland. How how was the how was your upbringing? I like over there in Cleveland. Um, you know, it's pretty, like, I guess typical for our generation. My parents were divorced. Um, I lived with my mom, um, my stepfather, and my, I had a black stepfather, so that was always, like, an interesting, an interesting thing with my friends would come over, and Cleveland was very, like, you know, it's kind of a progressive city. It always was, it was very urban, so it's not, like, uh, 
not like there weren't any, you know, people of color, but people would always act surprised when they came over, and that was my stepfather, you know, so I was always, yeah, a little, um, I don't know, there was always some awkward moments with that, not on my part, but just on, um, on, like, my friends, so it took a while for people to get used to that, sadly, but that's how it was. Um, I have six brothers and sisters, all from different moms, because from the same father, different mothers. Um, my father lives in Florida, and I used to go back and forth and visit him, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty, like, my afternoon was pretty, like, you know, nothing drama, you know, nothing, uh, you know, I don't know, like, no, I I was never kidnapped or anything as a child, nothing exciting, you know, (laughs) pretty, pretty boring shit, but, um, you know, made prank phone calls, go candy, all the things that make a child this nice. And you're, and you're full Puerto Rican? What's your nationality? No, no. I'm actually, I'm such a, I feel like uh, Rachel was the girl that was pretending to be black. Oh, Rachel. Oh, God, I can't pronounce <laughs> her last name. No, I'm, uh, I'm married. My husband is Puerto Rican. Okay. I, uh, my, my father's side of the family has, um, from, uh, from South America, like from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And, and I have, I, I'm a big mix, so I'm not just, I'm a little bit Latin, but I'm also, like, European, and but I uh, I identify. I don't even. I sound like that Rachel. But I identify. I don't know what I. Identify, <laughs> but, um, but I also lived in South America. I lived in Argentina when I was uh, eleven and twelve for wow. a couple of years, and I went to school there. So um, my Spanish, I think I always spoke Spanish when I was young, but when I moved there, I had to. So I. I learned to speak a lot better, and then I would go back to visit, and I have family over there. They're like my second, I have a mom, like, she's like my second mom, and she lives in, in Yadavilha, Argentina, and um, I, just, I, I love them, and so my my growing up was sort of split between Cleveland and Argentina once I became a teenager, and um, yeah, and that's it, so that's my, that is my background. Wow. Um. So, um, taking it a step forward, how did you transition from a professional ballet dancer? And when it, well, start with ballet. How was you always a dancer when you was a teenager? Yeah, always. Um, when I was really little, I took dance lessons because I was a hyperactive child. So okay. my my parents had to put me in something because I was, you know, they they didn't have like ABD back then, or we didn't know it was ABD. Anybody say Madonna was their influence to take ballet? That's weird.
probably none of your listeners know. He was like a famous ballet dancer from Argentina in the 80s. Yeah. And I got to see him live. And it was like, you know, life-changing because he was like, he was like the Voroshnikov of, you know, South America. He was incredible. And um, so I was I feel really lucky I got to see him live. And uh, I came back and I wanted to be a dancer. And I went to a performing arts high school. And I told my parents I wasn't going to go to college. But I was going to move to New York. And they were like, yeah, right. And they're like, you don't know anybody. I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to move there. It's going to be like the movies. And that's uh, exactly what I did. I moved here. I had one friend who was already here. And um, I stayed with her. We lived in the East Village. Uh, we did, we were squatting in an apartment. How ghetto was that? But it was kind of glamorous back then. We were squatting in an apartment on Avenue A and East 6th Street. Wow. Okay. It was like that apartment was such a dump. And now it's like, you know, probably... Couldn't, I couldn't afford to even step foot in that neighborhood. But back then, in the early 90s, you know, we, we literally had to step over a heroin addict. Like, and he was, like, a really nice one. Like, he didn't, you know, even bother anybody. He just would, like, you know, shoot up and fall asleep and just right in the first <laughs> floor. So it was a minor inconvenience. But we would <laughs> And that was, that was it. That was really what the East Village was like back then. And um, so, I, yes, I moved here, and I danced and, uh, for a couple years. And I got an um, Achilles tendon injury. Oh, wow. And so when I got injured, and I was sort of losing my passion for dance because I was so wrapped up in New York City. Like, any young girl from the Midwest would be, like, completely, you know, amazed by this, the chaos here and how exciting it was. So I was always going out and, you know, got lost in, like, the nightlife. And, um... And that was it. And then I got into acting because I was like, shit, I've got to do something. And I don't know how to do anything. So I went back to school. I went to Hunter. And I studied acting and um, auditioned a lot and performed as much as I could. And then I met my husband. And I got pregnant. And it was really hard to uh, to rehearse with the toddler. And so I got into stand-up comedy because I thought, well, this is something I can... I can still perform and, um, you know, not have to bring my kid with me to rehearsals all the time. And so that, and that's how I got into it. So. All right, but then um, how, like, did you, was you always, like, a comedian in school or this is something you always had in you? Like, how does one become a comedian? Like, how did that, how did you do that? Well, one has to be very fucked up, first of all. That's the first criteria. <laughs> uh, my brain kind of never goes off, and that's not necessarily a good thing. It's like, you know, people take yoga and meditate to, like, stop your thinking. Um, I can't speak for every comic, but I think a lot of comics probably have this thing in your head where you're just thinking about stuff in such a, like, ridiculous way. Like, the amount of time I put into thinking about an interaction with someone or the way someone responded to me or, or even, like... You know, there was a nun at Dwayne Reed who was getting, like, annoyed with the cashier. And I'm thinking, like, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to be, like, a nun who's annoyed? Like, is that, do they permit that? And then my brain goes off into this whole thing about, like, what can this nun do? Can she say, God damn it? Like, what what are her boundaries? You know? <laughs> I don't know if I did answer your question at all. But uh, when I was in high school, ironically... And this is so funny. Um, my friend's 
Chops is a musician now. He's like a really successful musician. We both got voted in our yearbook as class comedian. Not class clown, but class comedian. And I never thought it was that funny in high school. But I was I knew I was always trying to get attention. So it made sense to me that I got voted class comedian because that was just my effort that trying to be like, Hey, look at me everybody Um so, obviously, I fulfilled it because now I am a comedian, but I think I'm a comedian just because my path took me in such a different way, and, you know, I, I don't know what else to do. Oh, wow. So, like, um, um, being that, like, did you, like, write jokes, or these are jokes that you just come out of your head? Like, how, you know what I'm saying? Like, how, what's the process like for you? Yeah, I mean, when uh, when you're a comic, I mean, you have to write. I mean, there's a certain amount of discipline that, I mean, in my humble opinion, that's really required. You have to spend time, because anybody can think of certain things, but um, I guess the difference between a comedian and, like, a funny friend would be that, you know, the comedian spends time and overthinks a premise and, and articulates a thought in a way that I guess a regular person can't. So I do write a lot. Like, I'll think of funny stuff, and or even things that aren't funny, and I just put my twist on it, and then, you know, a lot of times it ends up being entertaining or relatable to people who are listening to me. Like my kids, a lot of my material is about my kids because that's the most obvious thing to me that I live every day, you know, um... When I first started doing comedy, I would say probably 90% of my material was, you know, just like new mom stuff. And, and looking back, it wasn't that funny. It was kind of hacky. Like, you know, I'd say stuff like, oh, you know, I can't sit on the toilet without one. You know, and all that was true. Like, but I try to be a little more, um, I don't know, little, I try to work a little harder now in terms of what I think is funny. I, I talk about relationships a lot and marriage and, you know, it's, it's fucking boring. It's boring. <laughs> oh, and everybody, you know, a single married person that will admit to you and be like, you know, oh, how's Joe? Well, he's fucking boring. Joe is boring. No one will say that. <laughs> but they're all thinking it. So for a couple to come into a comedy club and hear me, you know, do a joke about, you know, I have a joke about, you know, companionship and, and um, the New York Times came out with an article that said that the love and infatuation phase of any relationship is maximum two years. Yeah. And that the article says you have to come up with hobbies together so that you can, like, become companions. So my joke was, I really read this article, and I'm sitting in, my husband's bored with me, too. It's not like I'm ditching him. He'll tell you the same thing. He'll be like, she's an asshole. She's bored me. I can't, I can't take her anymore. Wow. <laughs> so I, uh, I had to make my joke was, you know, we both agree we need to take up hobbies, but we can't agree on which ones. I'm thinking we take up Scrabble, and he's thinking we take up anal. So, <laughs> which is wow. to show that two people in a relationship for a very long time can end up in two totally different head spaces. And that's okay. Like, it's just onward. You just keep going. But, but I observe it. I don't have the answer. I, I don't know what to tell people. I don't know how you get through it. If you choose to get through it, I just know that I stick in it and I look at it, I observe it, I write about it, and that's it. I do not have the answers to anything. I just have my own. Your own yeah, you have your own method of doing it, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, and then, you know, you played at, you know, different comedy clubs from Gotham Comedy Live, you've done a lot of different shows, um, in front of people, like, what was your first experience like, and did you, did you just, like, wing it, or, like, you, you was you prepared? The first time I did stand-up? Yeah. Um, the first time I did stand-up, yeah, I thought I was hilarious. Um, looking back, I don't think I was, um... Yeah, I was I was prepared. I knew I was going to do a show, and I, you know, I wrote some stuff, and um, I think I was probably a little bit nervous. But I got up on stage, and it's addicting that first laugh when you when you get that first laugh. It's just you want to keep going, and it's the same, you know. It's almost ten years well, not quite ten years later, but you know, it's still that same feeling. You just you get up on stage. You open up with whatever you open up with, and as soon as you get that laugh, it's like you just got the green light to just keep going, and, and you're and you're good, and you're in the moment, and and that's um, and that's what I love about it. It's one of the few things in life where you're, if you're doing it correctly, it's, it's like sex. Like you're not in your head. It's, <laughs> but I mean, it's true. Like being on stage and 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 sex are the two things that really is the only time people are not overthinking things. You know, you're not thinking about your laundry. You're not thinking about paying the bills. You're just 100% in the moment. And so for me, that's what I like about performing. And specifically about stand-up. That's what, it, you know, it's brought me. is just being able to be right where I am and not wanting to be anywhere else. But there are really awful nights and, and not so great audiences where you wish you could just hurry up and get off stage. But, <laughs> um, but for the most part, that's the whole idea is you just love what you're doing in, in that exact moment. Have you ever been the victim of a heckler? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it happens a lot less than people think. Yeah. I always get that question from people. Um, there's also the difference. There's heckling and then there's just sort of like loud audience members that, you know, I, this happened last night. There was just an audience member who kept contributing, you know, and, and he wasn't heckling, he was just annoying. And, and sometimes people forget, you know, when you come to a comedy club, and yes, we're there to entertain you, and yes, we're there to, um, you know, especially if it's the host, they're going to talk to the audience a bit. But audiences forget this is a live performance. This is our job. This is what we do. So, you know, it, it, it does get to a point where it can be really rude when someone is constantly talking back at the stage. And, you know, um, most comics handle it really well. You address it and you move on. And it can be fun and it can become part of the act and everything can flow and be great. Um, I did have someone say, some girl was really trying, there was a bachelorette party a few years ago, and they all came and had like penises on their heads, like the class, it was just a disaster shit show. What the hell? And one of the, one of the girls yelled that I, something like, I think I'm so hot, or so, I don't know, something about me thinking I'm so hot, and blah, 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 and uh, I, it was just annoying, and the security actually, she was so loud that the security actually came and removed her, so that was nice, that was, I didn't have to deal with that, and all the place applauded when she finally said that, but it really doesn't happen that often, so... I'm surprised you figure it would happen in New York a lot, but, you know, New York gets, like, a bad misconception that, you know, people are just, like, don't care, don't give a well, shit. Well, again, there's, I guess I define heckling, I define heckling as, like, really interrupting the show to the highest level possible to make it impossible for me to continue to tell my jokes. That's, 
pure, pure heckling. And that's only happened a couple times. The other one is where you just have sort of participating audience members who are maybe participating a little too much. They don't mean to, you know, ruin the show. They don't, they're just, they want attention really bad themselves. So I try to handle that, you know, as quickly and give them the attention that they want really quickly and move on to the next joke. And for the most part, it flows real nice and everything's fine. But uh, every now and then you do get someone really irritating and you want to kick the shit out of them, but you can't, so. Oh, I was gonna ask you. Um, on comic Comic Bible Magazine, called you the funniest reluctant wife and mother. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. But I can't even remember who wrote that about me. Um, the funniest reluctant. Uh, I guess because a lot of my set was when I first started, sort of making not making fun of my family, but making fun of me and okay. handling my family. Yeah. Um. And so it's at the, I, yeah, I think it was Mark said that I'm the funniest, reluctant wife and mother. But just I hesitate about my um, my role, I guess, as an adult, as a mom and a wife. Just, I, I, I didn't think it through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think nobody ever does, but yeah, you, that's true. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, you played in a lot of um, comedy clubs. Um, what's your favorite club to play at? Hmm. Well, I, it's not something somewhere I play a lot, but I loved when I was at Mohegan Sun. That was a lot of fun. That was a one-weekend gig, but that was, like, a, a lot of fun. Um, but in terms of a regular, I'd have to say, I mean, I love Boston Comedy Club. I don't play there regularly, um, but I do work there occasionally, and I really love the room. I love the main room a lot. Um, Broadway Comedy Club is, where I perform most of the time, at least weekly. So I'm very comfortable there because I've been performing there um, for about eight years. So that kind of club feels like home to me. It's very comfortable and, you know, um, it's a place where I can try new stuff and, you know, sometimes if you don't play the club a lot, you don't want to try new things out because, you know, you want to give your best stuff. So Broadway's one place where I feel like I can just, you know, play around. No. Do, um, do you rotate your material? Um, how long does it take for you to write new material, or do you just stay with the same material and do it in different different clubs? No, I, I never stay with the same stuff. Every year, I I like to make sure that my stuff is changing um, from my overall set. Like uh, jokes sometimes get stale to me, and I get bored with my set. So even though I have something that really works. Um, I get bored with it and I want to play around and I try to make myself do one new joke every time I'm on stage and sometimes I do the joke and I just realize I don't like it and I'm never going to do it again and sometimes it doesn't get the response I think it deserves but there's something in there that tells me I'm not giving this joke up I know nobody laughed tonight but I'm going to keep doing it until I find the way to deliver it and you know so I, I try to do new stuff um but I have, like, a tried-and-true set of jokes. Like, my opener, usually, I don't... I have two things I open with, and I really don't change them that often. Um, and uh, my closer has been has been changed a lot, but now I've been closing with the same joke for about probably two or three months. Oh, okay. Which is good, which is progress. Like, you don't always... You know, from year to year, 
you want to look back at your sets and say, wow, I don't even do half that anymore. But you always have it in your back pocket. If you, you know, I recently was on the road and I had to do, uh, I almost did an hour, and I'm 45 minutes is my real comfortable where I feel really good. Um, I can certainly stretch and do more, but it's kind of like filler. So after I did my solid 45 that I felt great about, I had another 15 minutes and I just was kind of doing old stuff. And it worked, but it wasn't like my favorite stuff. And that's an indication for me. It's like, okay, Kyle, you got to work harder, go back to the drawing board, make your stuff tighter. <laughs> um, you also co-founded Urban Workshop as a sketch comedy troupe. Um, how did that came about and who were the collaborators? Um, that was in the mid to late 90s. Um, this girl, Vanessa Rivera, and I, we started it together. We were both acting, and um, it was like this small little group that we used to meet at the, at the producer's club, which is, I actually occasionally go there. I have a friend who produces a comedy show there. The producer's club has been, you know, for acting and comedy for forever. And before I was doing comedy stand-up, I was, um, just getting together with a group of people and we would just sort of do like a little workshop. It was our own little thing. We would try it. We would do improv. We would just, you know, we didn't have like any master classes or nobody to teach us. We just sort of got together and just did stuff ourselves and tried to be creative and it was fun. And we had a good time. We had a couple performances with like six people watching it. <laughs> and, yeah. But we did it ourselves. It was a very grassroots thing. We did from the ground up and, and we did it for Oh wow! Um, um, also, um, who is Kyle's favorite comedians nowadays? We have a lot of comedians out there. There's uh, uh, so many comedians. Um, which female comedian, which male co comedian you enjoy um watching? Um, oh god, well, I love, I gosh, it's, I hate what well, no, I hate when people say female comedians as if they're like a different category. So I have to say, unfortunately, people do loop us like that, but. I really like, um, I think Kathleen Madigan is very funny. She's one of my favorite comedians. Yeah. Um, I like, I've been listening to, oh, Sebastian Maniscalco with How to Doubt. I, I think maybe I even put him before Kathleen Madigan. Um, and uh, there, there's so many, I mean, I obviously like Chris Rock, um, mm -hmm. who okay, is a, probably not original um, taste, but <laughs> really likes them, but... Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of great comedians. Some of my own friends were not helpful names, but just that I, I see and I'm so impressed by them, and I think they're hilarious. Um, so I don't, I don't know who else am I listening to on Pandora. Jim Gaffigan's hilarious. Yeah. He's so, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great comics out there, and I think it just depends on your, uh, your taste, what you like to hear. Um, I like Sebastian Maniscalco because he's so physical, and as a dancer, um, I like to watch that, and I I tend to think I, ironically, I'm a little stiff sometimes on stage because I'm so focused on my joke, and like, you know, I work so hard to write this joke, and I want to make sure it's, like, you know, received really well, but I tend to kind of stand in one spot and, and not move around, which, which I want to do more of, so. Uh, and, um... Um, I want to ask you, you know, it's the, the news is out today. I don't know if you've seen the news, but Donald Trump is running for president. <laughs> what do you think about that? I think the money he's spending on this campaign could be so much better spent on 
you know, feeding the homeless people. I mean, really, like, it's a joke. He's got to know this is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe he could, like, I don't know, buy, like, hair plugs for the whole poverty-stricken third world. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's a total waste of, of the resources that he has. And it's just, uh, it's stupid. I think it's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's 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 hilarious though. It's just hilarious. I guess no apprentice this season since he's running. So who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, I oh. gotta give it up to his wife. I mean, I when I had a friend who recently was just telling me that um she had she met a guy that had a lot of money, but she kind of wasn't into him, and she's never been a gold digger. And then she told me how much money the guy had. And I was like, well, you need to find your inner Melania Trump. <laughs> <laughs> You need to bring her out and take care of this shit. What, is he, is, is he a guy in the six figures or something? Uh-huh. Is he a guy in the six figures? The, your, your, um, your, your, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. She was, she was telling me about him, and I was just like, um, <laughs> like, I've never been a gold digger. I think that's what happens when you turn 40. You start to rethink your judgment of gold diggers. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> 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 they, they were on to something as I fucking just put in a 70-hour week. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Um, where can um people see you, Kyle, in the New York City area? You have any dates coming up? Well, I am on my way to Dangerfield uh, in about twenty minutes, which is great because that's right by my house. Oh, um, wow! Okay. This uh, I don't know when this is airing, um, but I, you can always go to my schedule, uh, which is on my homepage of kyleocasio.net. KyleOpacio.net, and I post my schedule. If for some reason I'm hungover and I forget to post it, you can just email me, and um, anybody that emails me can get my email on my website, and uh, just tell me that night you're free, and I'll tell you if I've got anything that night. Wow. Also, you're going to Dangerous Fields right after this, right? I am. I am, which is really awesome because it's right down the block, so it's really easy. Wow, that's even better. Do you dress up, or you could just go in sweats and a t-shirt, and then you know, or you have to you have to get all dolly up. I, well, I, I try to put a little, like you know, I, as a woman comedian, I don't like to dress up. That's my personal choice, but I feel like you know, not that I like want to look hideous or anything, but I just feel like that's my personal Last question for you. Um, what's the key to a healthy marriage, and what's the key <laughs> to, to being a successful parent? <laughs> I would ask, you know, uh, you, Hafner, and Casey Anthony for, for better answers than I could possibly. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you know, I think successful marriage, I feel so unqualified to give anyone advice, but I would just say, Figure out what you want. Some people have arrangements, you know, where they just say, I'm going to deal with this shit because it's 
person goes XYZ. Some people are really in love and they're like, I married my best friend. Well, that's great because most of us didn't. Um, <laughs> and, and I, you know, it, for me, I, I think it's just uh, a little respect and space is what is what makes it for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have I, my husband is an amazing father, and I have a lot of respect for him. And um, I think he has a lot of respect for what I do because he's a little bit shy. He's kind of the opposite of me. So I think he thinks really, um, you know, just something that he could never see himself doing. And yeah. he's not a natural performer. Um, and so I appreciate that he appreciates that about me. And we give each other space. And he loves sports. And I, I think we'll watch whatever game in my own way. So fun. It's basketball season. I have no clue. Football, ice skating, shit, you know. Um, but I let him do what he wants, and he lets me do what I want, and I think that that, you know, there's no resentment when that happens. And that's, uh, and that's, the, that's the key. And what about to be, so what about to be the successful parent? Uh, kind of similar principles, believe it or not. I think, you know, obviously it depends on the age of your kid. If your kid's like a toddler, a successful parent is like, you know, see them, don't let them shit on themselves, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have, um elementary age and middle school. My son's going to be going into eighth grade, and I think giving him an appropriate amount of space to figure out this and not hover over him. Those parents are, like, micromanaging their kids, and I, I just think that's bad. you got to give your kid a little bit of a little bit of space to make mistakes and know that I always tell my son it's okay to screw up sometimes. That's part of life, but just try to be mindful of what you're doing and treat yourself with respect and treat other people with respect and, you know, just try to model the best behavior and not to have a lot of guilt, which is very hard if you're a working parent. Super, super hard. Mm-hmm. You can't be there for everything, but I try to be there for as much as I can. And when I'm not, um, my kids are pretty understanding. I think they're proud of me because... You know, when, when I did access, for example, my son was like, Mom, I'm so proud of you. You, were, you know, he, he didn't really know what it was, and he knew that it was on TV, and he was just, like, happy for me. So um, I think in my family, we, we try to share joy. When one thing that happens to one person, we, we all celebrate. But no we'll go out to dinner for anything. Like, you got an A on your test? Yay, let's do it. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> maybe let's do this. Like, so we're, we're really big on celebrating small victories, and I think that that um, you know, it brings joy not just to the person who who's celebrating, but to the whole family. Like, we're all in this together, and we try to lift each other up as much as possible. Amen. So. That's how we got to do it. And um, um, even though I said that was my last question, why are you scared of creepy dolls? What's a creepy doll to you, a Barbie doll? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, one time my daughter put a doll at the table, and she, like, made it like a place setting. And I was not aware or ready for this. And I woke up after doing a midnight show, right? I come home and I sleep for maybe like five hours, which is not a lot. I get up and make my coffee. I go to sit down at the table and I see this doll like staring at me. And I swear I think I saw an eye move. <laughs> <laughs> was you drunk or you were sober? No, it just like me out so much. I just, yeah, I'm not a fan of dolls. <laughs> Alright, so I guess Barbie is not on your Christmas list for your daughter. <laughs> no, don't get me a Barbie. Oh. 
Oh, man. Thank you so much, Kyle. And um, I hope you have a great show tonight. And um, I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by mobile devices. <laughs> have a good night. I appreciate it.